Before I say anything else, I'm going to be preaching from the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. It takes forever to find, so start now. To start now. It takes forever. It is not cheating to use the table of contents in the front of your Bible. I know you think that that's only for, for nerds, uh, but be a nerd. Go to the table of contents. Find Hosea because I want you to be in the scripture with me this morning. Hosea chapter 1 is where we'll begin. This is week two in a message series entitled Staying in Love. We're, we're talking about marriage, but I want you to remember that, that the principles that we're applying to marriage are, are not only principles for married people. Understand, the purpose of your life in Christ is, is holiness. And, and if you're married, God is going to use your marriage to sanctify you and, and teach you to love somebody more than you love yourself. Your marriage will be a tool that God will use to make you more like Christ. But understand, the purpose remains the same for all of us. All of us together are, are trying to grow in the likeness of Christ, become holy as he is holy, and whether you're married or not, that the principles that apply in marriage apply in every other avenue of your life. If you've heard me preach very much, you should know by now that, that I often say that, that relationship problems of any kind are always spiritual problems. Relationship problems of any kind are spiritual problems. So if you're one of those people that has a lot of relationship problems with your neighbors, uh, with your family members, with your spouse, uh, with, with friends, with coworkers, and understand there are spiritual problems at the bottom of that, and therefore spiritual solutions are the only ones that will, that will bring the peace that you need. American Idol was in Woodburn. I know they came to Bowling Green, but I realize the bus came to Woodburn. The, the bus drove through Woodburn. We don't know why. We don't know if they were lost, but the American Idol bus drove right by Cheney's Dairy Barn and Emmett Seacrest's house and, uh, and, and was apparently filming some footage driving through the beautiful fields of Woodburn. How many of you tried out for American Idol, some of you? Any of you? Yeah? Way to go. Awesome. Yeah. Personally, I think this church is filled with idol material. I, I think that almost any of us belong, uh, belong uh, on the big stage, uh, which brings me to a question for you. It, it, if you're married, and, and just think with me now, you married people, if they were to make a movie out of your love story, like your marriage is, is a movie, you and your spouse, who do you think should play you and your spouse? You ever think about that? Who would play you? Any ideas? Matt Betts says Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah, and we were all thinking that. Yeah, we were... <laughs> We were all thinking that. Anybody else? You ever put some thought into that? Because, see, I think that's ridiculous. You need to be a little more realistic. <laughs> Jim Carrey. That's awesome. No. If, if it were me and Casey, if there was a movie of, of me and Casey, what are you thinking, baby? Go ahead and say it for me. Who should play me? Say it out loud. Go ahead. Because if I say it, they won't believe it. Say it. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Tebow, yeah, he could work on it. He could probably pull it off, yeah. And Sandra Bullock, something like that for you, Sandra Bullock, that'd be okay? Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. However, turn to the book of Hosea. Here's the kind of bad news for you. Your story's already been told. Your story has already been told, and, and characters have played your part, and you find that in Hosea. In, in the book of Hosea, your story's been acted out already, Here's the thing, you're not going to like who plays you. You're just not going to like who plays you in this story. But make no mistake, you're in this story. You're just not going to like who plays you. 
find yourself. Hosea chapter 1, I'm just going to sort of give you the big points of the story. We'll jump over into chapter 3, just a few verses. Follow this and uh, find yourself in the story of Scripture. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. Okay, verse 2. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to Hosea, Go and marry a prostitute. The New Living Translation says, Go and marry a wife of whoredom, the King James says. Ouch. Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. What? Verse 3. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I am about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I will bring an end to Israel's independence. I will break its military power in the valley of Jezreel. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, name your daughter daughter Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and charioteers, but by my power as the Lord their God. After Gomer had weaned Lo-Ruhumah, she again became pregnant and gave birth to a second son. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Amai, which means not mine, not my people. For Israel is not my people and, and, and I'm not their God. The story goes on. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible story. Gomer ends up leaving the house. Gomer ends up ending up on, on the, the block as a sex slave. And chapter 3 is where we pick up again. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and they love to worship them. So Hosea chapter 3 verse 2 says, I bought her back. It's a complicated story. It's a complicated story. Uh, What you need to understand is that this is indeed a story about a marriage but it's also the story of all of our lives and and this is what you need to understand the book is called Hosea but it's really not any sort of biography we don't know a lot about the man Hosea we know that the only thing that distinguishes him from everybody else is that God has a purpose for his life and God begins to speak to him God's purpose for Hosea's life is the same as God's purpose for your life and mine. God's purpose was to show himself, to glorify himself through Hosea's life. And so God intends to show himself through Hosea, and therefore Hosea becomes a prophet, a a preacher. When God begins to speak to Hosea, he is apparently of marriageable age. He's not yet married. So understand, that makes Hosea, in his day and age, probably uh, a late teenager. Hosea is probably 17, 18 years old when we first meet him in Scripture. So get that in your head. This is a, a young man. 
with dreams and expectations for how his life's going to turn out. The way the story begins, it, it's shocking. It sim simply says that God told Hosea, go marry a wife of whoredom. Go marry a wife of whoredom. Go marry a prostitute. Th that's hard. We don't really understand exactly how we're supposed to interpret that. We know what she is. I'm not disputing that. It's obvious what this lady is. She is not preacher's wife material. Read chapter 2. Hosea, you got to picture her. This is kind of the bleach blonde type with a really, really low-cut dress. Again, read chapter 2. This is a lady that wears a little bit too much makeup, and she doesn't know the meaning of the word faithfulness. She is a wife of whoredom. I apologize for using that word. That's not a PG word, but this is not a PG girl. Do you understand? A wife of whoredom. What we don't know is if that's what she is when he met her. We don't know that. Notice that when the, the, the scripture gives that instruction, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, it's almost like a, a, a preview. It's a picture of how this story turns out. She's going to be a prostitute and she's going to have children that don't belong to Jose. But that's sort of a, a preview of, of coming attractions, you understand? So we don't know if that's what she is when he meets her. We don't know if that's what she is when he marries her. But understand, that's how things turn out. That's what she becomes. And it happens early. It happens early. Gomer. I'm sorry, that's just funny. That's a funny name to me. That should have been his first son, Gomer. Gomer won't stay home. And if there's one thing that's clear in, in this whole story, Jose loves her. He loves this woman. He loves her, and she breaks his heart. But he loves her, and he never stops loving her. Now, the marriage gets difficult. Things get really, really difficult. Immediately, Gomer comes up pregnant, and Jose, is, he's a preacher, but he's not an idiot. He, he still understands how things work. And he can do the math, and he realizes about the time that, Jose, that Gomer could have gotten pregnant with, with this kid that's going to be named Jezreel, about the time she got pregnant, he knows that he was in Edmondson County doing a revival. And it doesn't add up. And so right away, he understands the situation he's in. And so one of the things... Jose does, because he's a preacher, he likes to turn everything into a sermon. So he starts giving his kids these really weird names. He gives these kids these awful names. He names them things like, you know, mama's baby, daddy's maybe. He, he names his kids stuff like that. Daddy's maybe. I'm not making that up. Names his kids things like unloved. So that every time the teacher calls the roll at school, there's a little sermon being preached. You understand that? Every time the kids get their names called, there's a sermon being preached to the people. Because understand, all of this is an illustration for the people. Hosea's entire life becomes a sermon illustration. Something's being illustrated here. The story that's unfolding in the life of Hosea and Gomer is a bigger story. It's my story and it's your story. And this is what the book of Hosea is about. Because it's your story, it's my story, it's an illustration. And in Hosea's story, Hosea gets to stand in for God. Hosea becomes the picture of a loving God, a faithful God, a God who never turns his back on his people, a God who loves and loves 
and loves. A God who never stops reaching out. A God who never closes his heart. A God who never ever turns off the spigot of grace. Hosea is that kind of man and he illustrates the kind of God that we serve. A God of grace, a God of love, a God of forgiveness. It's a story about forgiveness. See, that's why no matter what Gomer does, Hosea goes and he brings her back. He he brings her back. It's a story that's intended to illustrate the reality of what it is to serve a forgiving God. God is a forgiving God. Now turn with me over to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. This is where it starts to hit the road here for us, right here. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. If you have a pen, underline this verse in your Bible. You need to be able to come back to this verse. Ephesians 4, 32. Here you go. Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Here we go. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Because God is a forgiving God and because our lives are taken over and changed by a forgiving God, then we become forgivers. We are forgivers. This is a way of life for us and it is the way of life in marriage. I know that some of you know what it is to be in a very difficult marriage. I understand that, and my heart breaks for you. I get that. And I know that sometimes marriages can have very, very complicated problems. There are very complicated marital problems, and some of you right now are sitting next to a very complicated marital problem. I understand. But what you need to understand is very, very often, very complicated problems have very simple solutions. Very complicated problems can have very simple solutions. And the simple solution for 99% of the junk you struggle with in your marriage, the simple solution is forgiveness. Now when I say it's simple, I'm not implying that it's easy because there's nothing easy about it. There's nothing easy about forgiveness, but it is simple. It's simple. And I can promise you, with all the couples that, that, that I talk to on a weekly basis, 99% of them, the simple solution to the complicated mess of their lives is forgiveness. The woman who comes in and says, Brother Tim, my husband cheated on me with an 18-year-old girl. What do I do now? How do we move on? Do you want to know the answer to that, really? Because the answer, it's forgiveness. It's the only way to move on. It's the only way to move from an ugly past into a bright future. It's the only bridge, and the bridge is forgiveness. It's always forgiveness. I know that sounds hard, but it's forgiveness. It's the only way. Brother Tim, my wife, she went out, she opened a credit card, and she had the bill sent to the neighbors so I would never, ever know what she was spending, and now we are double over our heads in debt. What am I supposed to do now? Is that a serious question? Honestly, what do you think the answer is? 
I know it seems complicated, but I'm telling you, the answer is always the same. 99% of the time, the answer to your marital problems is, is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. You have to forgive. It's the only way to live with somebody day after day, week after week, year after year. Forgiveness is the only way you're going to hold this thing together. You've got to learn to forgive. It is a way of life for all Christians, all Christians, inside marriage or outside of marriage. Forgiveness is our way of life. You just got to absorb this. You've got to understand this. You're not the exception to this rule. And the rule is be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Well, Brother Tim, you don't understand what he's done to me. Brother Tim, you don't understand what it's like to live with this woman. You don't understand what forgiveness is about. It is not about what other people have done to you. It's not about what she's done to you. It's not about what he's done to you. It's about what Christ has done for you. We forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven us. You see, here's the big revelation. We all sin. I'm a sinner. I sin every single day. I'm a sinner. And you are too. You are too. When you got married, here's the funny part. You made this incredible promise of unconditional love for an imperfect person. You promised on that day that you would love unconditionally a woman or a man that's imperfect. She was imperfect the day you married her, and so were you. We're all sinners, and we all live under this incredible flood of God's grace. He lavishes forgiveness on us every single day. You see, that's the problem. In my life, I tend to lose touch with my sin. Now, I can see my wife's sin from across the bed any day of the week. I can see her sin in vivid living color. I just forget to see my own. And so it's very easy for me to get proud. And it's easy for me to stand up and imagine that somehow I can be the one who doesn't have to forgive people who sin against me. I'm not the exception. And neither are you. We forgive because God forgives us. So understand, that that's the default position of my heart and your heart in Christ. I've just predetermined, and you must predetermine, that no matter what happens to you, no matter what anybody does to you, you're going to forgive it. You're going to forgive. I mean, we're Christians, right? We're Christians. And God has already forgiven us. And he's already commanded us to forgive everybody else. So understand, it, it's, it's predetermined. I don't have to stop and ask myself, will I forgive this? Or, or am I going to hate this person for the rest of my life? It's predetermined. Because God has forgiven me, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. And that might be one of the most important decisions you ever make inside your marriage. You're going to forgive. You're going to forgive it all. You gotta forgive. As I said, I'm a sinner. And, and, and God help her, my wife's right here, God bless her. Um, I sin against my wife every day. Do you know what that means? That means that every day I need to be repenting. 
Every day I need to be repenting before God and before her. Every day I need to be saying I'm sorry. It just needs to be a part of the way our marriage operates. We need to say a whole lot of I'm sorry's and I forgive you. I mean, when you learn to master those words, I'm sorry and I forgive you, you're on your way to pretty good marriage. I mean, it's repentance and forgiveness. But now let's, let's, let's take it one step further. It takes maturity to really start understanding what kinds of offenses are, 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 are forgettable and, and what kind aren't forgettable. And honestly, this is what makes my head want to explode sometimes in talking to, talking to couples. They get angry that there are huge issues, uh, things that, that are made so large, and honestly, it, not even big enough to be an actual issue. So we're talking about forgiveness. Why don't we say forgiveness for the big stuff? I mean, I mean the really big stuff. Let, let's reserve forgiveness for the, for the issues that are large enough to, to, to bear the name. Everything else is just an annoyance or, or, or hurt feelings. And honestly, you need to just grow up a little and let some things go. Seriously. Seriously. Sometimes we're mad about things. Sometimes what you hold against your spouse is something that you shouldn't have even thought about five minutes later. You just got to let it go. It's not a sin. It's an annoyance. It's just an, an annoyance. You'll never believe what my husband did, Brother Tim. It was our anniversary, and he got me a birthday card. It said, happy birthday on the front. What kind of a moron gets a birthday card on an anniversary? Did he write a, a nice note inside? He wrote a note inside, but that's not the point. He said, happy birthday on the outside. Let's just poll the audience. Will she or will she not get a card at all next anniversary? I'm thinking no. I'm thinking she just got the last card she's going to get in her life. He should have just got her a sympathy card. Man, he got you a card. I mean, what happens to it's the thought that counts? Why can't you just hug his neck and have an anniversary? What's wrong with you? He got you a card. He got you a card. At our house, the, the annoyance, it's actually my wife, y'all get on her when this is over. It's spraying the shower when we get out. Casey has this little jar of, of uh, uh, shower cleaner. It's a great idea, people. It really is because scrubbing out a shower is horrible. I just hate to see her have to do it. It's just horrible. So we've got this shower cleaner in the shower. And so the, the, the commandment is every time I get out of the shower, I'm supposed to turn around and stop while I'm dripping. I'm supposed to turn around and stop and spray the whole shower with the shower spray because apparently it doesn't work if we don't both do it. Yeah, yeah. we did this this morning. We did this this morning because I'm coming to church, people, coming to church. So I just sprayed the bottom and got out. I mean, I sprayed the bottom in case he said, you got to spray the door too. Yeah. Now, now, honestly, that's just a small annoyance, right? Y'all tell her. Small annoyance? Yeah, yeah baby, it's a, it's, it's a small thing. She knows that. She knows that. But you understand that this is what married life is, is full of. It's full of small things and, and, and small annoyances. And you just got to learn to let stuff go. You can't live your life keeping a record of every little time he messes up. Every single time he should have he ironed the shirt before he went to your mother's house. You understand? You just got to let stuff go. You just got to let stuff go. All of the times that she lets the car run out of gas or even run out of oil, you understand? You just got to let stuff go. 
It's not all forgivable. Most of it's forgettable. Why can't you just forget stuff? It seems to me that some couples are just determined. It's like they get into this crazy cycle of just hating each other, and and they almost have to keep it going. And that's why they just look for something, anything small, anything just to keep the fight going one more day. I don't understand that. I don't know why couples would rather be miserable than be happy. But honestly, it seems to me that a whole lot of couples just choose to be miserable that they choose misery when they could have happiness because they just look for stuff every single day, all day long. They just look at each other and look for faults and find faults, and then they stay mad. I'm telling you, that's crazy. That's crazy. Why would you choose to live that way? So, So honestly, grow up enough to know the difference between when you've been hurt and when you've not been hurt. Grow up enough, find the maturity to understand when your spouse has really wronged you and when you haven't been wronged at all. Learn the difference and then save forgiveness for the real stuff. Save the forgiveness for when you've actually been hurt, when there's an actual offense, when there's real sin between you and between her. Save the forgiveness for the real stuff and let everything else just go. Maybe just let a whole lot of it go. The thing is, if you don't learn to forgive, there's really only one of two things that can happen. Either you can forgive and things get better, or you just get bitter. You just get bitter. And there are truly couples that are so steeped in bitterness by this point that it seems nearly impossible to ever turn this thing around. I'm telling you, there's hope to turn this thing around, but the hope is found in forgiveness. Talk about bitterness for a moment. You ever heard of a very famous preacher named John Wesley? John Wesley, uh, one of the founders of, of, of Methodism, the Methodist Church. He was a circuit rider. He preached. He was an amazing, amazing preacher. His brother Charles was more famous for writing hymns, but John Wesley actually has a couple of hymns in our hymnal, the one in front of you. Uh, I think hymn number 123 is called Jesus, Thy Boundless Love to Me. And I want you to look at verse 2 from Jesus, Thy Boundless Love to Me. This is from John Wesley, the preacher. Look at this. This is beautiful. Oh, grant that nothing in my soul may dwell but thy pure love alone. He's talking to Jesus. Oh, may thy love possess me whole, my joy, my treasure, and my crown, all coldness from my heart remove. May every act, word, thought be love. That's beautiful. That's a hymn written about Jesus' love. All coldness from my heart remove. May every act, word, thought be love. From the pen of John Wesley. What you don't always know about John Wesley was that his wife was named Molly. And by all accounts, John and Molly had the most miserable marriage in the history of the planet. Biographers of John Wesley often call their marriage the 30 years war. It was ugly. If this is from the pen of John Wesley, I want you to see something else from the pen of John Wesley. This is from a letter he wrote to Molly, his wife. This is a letter to Molly Wesley. 
I took you first by ye arm, and afterward by ye shoulder, and shook you twice or thrice. It might have made you black and blue. I bless God that I did nothing worse. I might have given you an unlucky blow. You're lucky I didn't punch your lights out, he's saying. I took you first by your arm, and afterward by your shoulder, and shook you twice or thrice. Are you kidding me? What happened to, may every thought, word, deed be love, remove all coldness from my heart? How do you make sense of this? How can a, a man, a godly man, a Christian man, who seemed to know so much about the love of God when he stood in the pulpit, how can he take his wife by the arm and then by the shoulder and give her a good shake and she's lucky he didn't just pop her one? How is that the same man? In a later letter he wrote to her, he said, if you live to be a thousand years old, you will never undo all that you've done to me. If you live to be a thousand years old, you'll never undo what you've done to me. How do you explain that? How do you explain that kind of bitterness in a Christian home? A Christian couple. Their marriage became miserable for the same reason a lot of marriages become miserable. It's not that they fall out of love. It's that they fall out of forgiveness. That they fall out of forgiveness. What John Wesley seemed to forget with his wife is that in a thousand years, of course she can't undo what's been done. Nobody can do that. Nobody can unsay what's been said. Nobody can undo what's been done. You can't do that. You can't take it back. You, you, you can't rewind. You can't erase. I mean, what's done is done. The only way forward is forgiveness. It's forgiveness. So what's it look like? Take some notes, will you please? Let me just tell you a few things about real-life forgiveness and how it's going to look in your marriage. Talk about forgiveness. How do you do it? What's it look like? How would I start today? Number one, it won't be perfect. Go ahead, write that down. It won't be perfect. Your forgiveness ain't going to be perfect. It's not going to be easy. As a matter of fact, it's not even in you to do it. You can't do this. If you could have done it, you would have already done it. You can't do this. It's not in you to forgive. It's not going to be perfect because you're not perfect, and it is not in your power. It is not in your heart to forgive like this. God forgives. Through Christ, he forgives us. And God forgives perfectly, and God forgives completely, and God forgives freely, but you're not God, and I'm not either. My forgiveness is not perfect. It's a miracle, actually. It's a miracle that God does in me. And if you will open your heart to the movements of the Holy Spirit, it is a miracle that he will do inside of you. Forgiveness is possible. Forgiveness is promised, but it's not going to come from inside of you. It's going to come from the operation of the Holy Spirit through you. Does that make sense? It, it's a miracle. It, it's a miracle. But I believe in miracles. And so no matter what she's done to you, no matter how many times he's hurt you through the years, you understand forgiveness is the only solution. It is going to take a miracle, but let's just start believing in miracles here. You can do this. Through Christ, forgiveness can happen in your heart. Forgiveness can happen in your marriage. It can start happening today. 
and that's what I would want to say next. It's probably going to happen slowly over time. It's very difficult to just say, oh, okay, I forgive you. That's difficult. But it is going to have to start with a decision like that. You're going to have to make a definite decision, and you can do that today. And Christ is calling you to do that right now. You can make a decision today. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to move in this direction. I'm going to forgive you. And from that point on, forgiveness is the choice. You understand? But it might happen slowly over time. It probably won't happen automatically because I'm telling you, it's just not in you like that. If it happens, when it happens, it's Christ's work in you, and it might take time because your heart is hard. So understand, it won't be perfect. It won't be automatic. It won't be easy. It might happen slowly over time, but you must start with a decision to seek forgiveness, a decision to let this happen in you. You've got to be willing to give this bitterness to the Lord. That's where it, that's where it starts. Next thing. It's going to be messy. It is going to be messy. It is going to be so messy. And just accept that. Because you've been married a while now. You understand? This has, been, this has been some time now. And let's say, for example, that maybe your wife cheated on you. And you have a lot of questions about that. You really want to know all of the names, dates, and places. You really want to know what she did and who she did it with. You want to know what she was thinking. And you want to know how much it cost. And you want to know when and what you were doing. You want all of these questions answered. And I'm telling you, you will never get all your questions answered. It's messy. You're never going to get all of your questions answered. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to get that. And you're never going to unscramble all of the eggs. It's never going to get cleaned up. It's never going to get put back exactly like it was. It can't. It's broken. You understand that? It's just going to be messy. There's going to be a lot of, of stuff left over. You're going to have anger left over even as you begin to forgive. And let me just tell you, at first, you're going to have anger and you're going to have forgiveness living in the very same heart. It, it's just that complicated. But if you will continue to seek the Lord, and if you will continue to seek Christ and let him do his work in you, gradually that forgiving spirit will overwhelm that, that spitefulness, that anger that continues in your heart. It, it may be slow, but it will happen. It will happen. But for a while, you could have some anger left over. There will be things that you want to say, and although you've already said them, you'll almost want to wake him up in the middle of the night and start all over in on him. Because there are things he needs to learn and things he needs to know and things he needs to promise. And I'm telling you, at some point, you're just going to have to give up on all of that. Forgiveness happens, but it's just messy. And you're never, ever going to unscramble all the eggs and get all of your questions answered. And for a while, you're going to have some anger left over. But if there are lessons that she needs to learn sooner or later, you've just got to let Jesus teach her. Understand? If there are lessons that he needs to learn, you're just going to have to turn him over to God to learn the lessons. You are not going to be the Holy Spirit in your spouse's life. Forgiveness is not going to be perfect when we do it because we're not perfect, but God is perfect. He'll work the miracle in our hearts. He'll work the miracle in your marriage. It's going to be messy, and you're going to have some anger left over but it's 
impossible. You understand? It's, it's, it's possible. Here's the last thing. It's hard. It's hard. But you've got to forgive freely or it's not forgiveness. You just got to forgive freely or it's not forgiveness. How do I know that she won't cheat on me again, Brother Tim? How do I know that she won't cheat again? You don't. You just don't. How do I know that he's learned his lesson, Brother Tim? How do I know that he's not going to hurt me again? You don't. You don't. But but you forgive. You just got to forgive, and you forgive freely. What that means is you have to surrender the right to ever bring it up again. Understand? When I forgive you, I cannot hold that over your head for the rest of our married life. That's not forgiveness, that's spite. When I forgive you, I surrender the right to ever bring it up again. Because see, when it's forgiven, it's in the past. It's, it's past. Husband, wife, you got to let it be in the past. you got to let it go. Some of you have such memories. I counseled a couple once, and their very first fight happened walking down the aisle right after the preacher had said, I now pronounce you husband and wife. They fought halfway down the aisle and years later, they were still fighting that fight. You have to let it go. You have to let it go. I know enough about you to know that I probably haven't persuaded you yet. Because in your marriage, you're probably so mad at him, so mad at her, that you're still you're thinking that I'm asking you to do her a favor. It's like you're thinking that I'm taking up for the other person when I ask you to forgive. And therefore, I don't count because I'm, you know, he, the woman, women's already got to Brother Tim. You can't talk to Brother Tim. I, this is a lousy church to be a man in. That's what somebody told me once. Lousy church to be a man in because he just talks for the women. Yeah. Come on. I'm not telling you to forgive your wife to do her a favor. I'm not speaking up for her. And I'm not speaking up for your husband when I say forgive him. I'm just not. Let's talk about you for a minute. Turn one more scripture. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. We're not talking about your wife anymore. We're not talking about your husband anymore. We're not talking about that person you're mad at anymore. Let's talk about you, okay? This is you. We're not asking you to do anybody any favors by forgiving. Let's just talk about you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You see, this 
inability to forgive that's in your heart, that bitterness that's in your heart, this is poison to you. It's poison for you. One person said that that, that to be angry, to, to, to be bitter, is to drink the poison and then wait for the other person to get sick. You understand? The bitterness is in you. That spiritual issue is yours, and you're going to have to deal with it. You see, you're staying angry, and you think that hurts your wife, but you don't understand. You're only destroying yourself. This is killing your soul. It's killing your soul. That root of bitterness, it's the root. In other words, you sometimes have to go down deep to pull it up by the roots. But you have to do this. It has to be severe. It has to be something you do with all intensity. You have to reach down into your heart by the Holy Spirit and pull the bitterness out by the roots. Because this is poison in your soul. This is killing you. Now, you stay mad because you think that somehow that that keeps you above that other person. It keeps you above your spouse. But I'm telling you, it's only polluting you. It's only destroying you. Pull out the root of bitterness that troubles you, the Hebrews says. This bitterness, this unforgiveness, it, it is a spiritual problem in your heart. It's something you have to deal with because it's going to destroy you. In the process, it's killing your marriage. And on the other side of that, it's ruining your children. You understand? It it, it troubles you, but it corrupts many, the verse says. That bitterness is in your heart, but it continues to spread to all the people who know you and try their best to love you. You've got to let it go. I don't do this very often, but heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. First question for you to answer. Are you bitter? Where is the bitter root in your heart? How deep does it go? Where did it begin? I I don't even know the answers to the questions, but I do know the answer. You've got to pull it up by the roots. The bitterness is going to destroy you. Now for married couples, two very simple questions. For what do I need to repent? In my marriage, for what do I need to repent? Sir, you need to learn to say you're sorry to your wife. Start today. For what do you need to repent? Ma'am, you've got to learn to say you're sorry. You are not always right. Learn to admit when you're wrong. Ask yourself, for what do I need to repent? And then one more question for the married folks. What do I need to forgive? What do I need to forgive? Well, Brother Tim, he hadn't said he's sorry yet. I understand. He doesn't have to say his sorry. Forgiveness starts in your heart. Not because of what he has done, but because of what Christ has done. Christ has already forgiven you. So you can already begin to forgive. What is it that you need to forgive? Lord Jesus, I pray for married people. I pray for the couples in our church within the sound of my voice. Lord Jesus, marriage is hard because we are all imperfect. We all sin. We hurt each other every single day. 
but we forget to say we're sorry. We, we, we forget to repent and we refuse to forgive. Lord Jesus, bring us back to the gospel. Bring us back to the truth of who you are, the forgiving God. Bring us back to the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to make us holy. Lord Jesus, teach us to repent and forgive, and especially inside our marriages. Lord, there are wives in this house today with bitter, bitter hearts that can only be broken and softened by forgiveness. There are men in this room so proud they're never wrong, but God, their hearts are so hard, and their wives are so broken. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would soften the hard hearts of men and teach them to forgive and repent. Lord Jesus, teach us that our marriages are not to make us happy, but to make us holy. Teach us, Lord, to seek your holiness every single day. Lord Jesus, we all need a miracle of grace and forgiveness in our lives. We thank you that by the cross that miracle is made possible. Now, Lord, help us to receive it to receive the miracle of forgiveness and to offer it to others. Pray this in the blessed and gracious name of Jesus.